Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. A yes or a no on on the immigration uh, bill. The bill that's been presented today, uh, I think, will fail on Wednesday. Uh, I'm certainly a no. What I want to see is a bill that actually provides border security. You know, it's remarkable that in 2021, the Democrats said, there's no problem at our southern border. 2022, there's no crisis. 2023, there's no crisis. Suddenly in 2024, they put forward this bill saying there's a crisis and the Republicans don't vote for this bill. It's the Republicans' fault. Well, this bill has a lot of problems in it that will actually incentivize more illegal immigration. They're talking about more than $20 billion additional dollars coming into this. We need to enforce the laws. We need airtight legislation that will force President Biden's hand to enforce the laws on the books. Instead, what we've got is a lot of funding to incentivize, to facilitate more processing of people. And frankly, I think it will tie the hands of the next administration if we were to pass the legislation as it exists right now. So I'm definitely a no on this. That is Senator Bill Haggerty of Tennessee. And it is very clear that this is a no. What was it that... that uh it was the headline over at Hot Air, uh, according to Mitch McConnell, everything is dead. Everything is dead. He has moved himself away from this legislation. He doesn't want anything to do with it. He has uh, put himself in a place to say, you know what? This was not my idea. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Um, yeah, guys, it's uh, it's over, Johnny. And there are good reasons why. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, a pleasure. A pleasure to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669 is the number. I'm going to break down a series of the things here, uh, possibly in a way nobody else has. Because I was one of the people who rationally said, everybody screaming and yelling about this legislation before the legislation comes out is out of their mind. You don't know what it means. You haven't read anything. How in the world do you go about trying to to say whether something is worthwhile or not if you haven't read it? It didn't do anybody any good. All it did was, hey, look at me. I'm a real conservative. I'm opposed to this. Real conservative, my ass. If you're not reading first, you're not basing anything on logic. You're not basing anything uh, on, on data. You're basing it on emotion. People who base things on emotions are progressives. So don't sit there and tell me about who the real conservative is. I mean, if you want to get slapped around again, I don't mind doing it. Maybe you'll learn your lesson. Oh, come on. Metaphorically, like any of these people could actually take a punch. It's infuriating. Take the time to read it. Now that you've read it, oh yeah, there are a lot of issues. (laughs) There are. There are a tremendous number of issues to this uh, legislation. Starting with something that I I feel like uh, it took a day for people to, to get into this. And it is the conversation regarding the 5,000. 
So if you were to take a look at the at the uh, Twitter feed, the X, do you still call it a Twitter feed? I can't keep up. The X feed of of, of Senator Cinema, you would note that she is very focused on this 5,000 number and that the 5,000 number is about encounters. As a matter of fact, she shared on X a, a local news feed uh, from, from Arizona where she's the senator. Listen. Let's dive a little deeper into those numbers. Many lawmakers who oppose the bill claim that it allows 5,000 people to illegally cross the border a day. But this isn't completely accurate. The bill says if an average of 5,000 claim asylum a day over the course of a week, DHS must stop accepting new claims. Now, any migrants apprehended during the asylum shutdown would then be sent back. Uh, right now, there is no cap, and every person who is apprehended must be processed. In the month of December, an average of 10,000 people were apprehended per day. Yeah, 10,000 people a day is a lot of people a day. But this this number is kind of fascinating. First, it, it discusses, as, as Senator Cinema wants you to know, the idea of encounters. I have yet to see a valuable definition of encounters. What does that mean, encounters? Is that basic dealings? Is that crossings? Is that crossings and claims of asylum? This is from the legislation as well, as Representative Dan Bishop of North Carolina posted it on X. It says, limitation. Aliens described in subsection A2C from non-contiguous countries shall not be included in calculating the sum of aliens encountered. Now, wait a second. Non-contiguous countries. The contiguous countries to the United States are Mexico and Canada. Canada is our hat. Mexico is our neighbor to the south. We don't call it, uh, we don't have a fun euphemism for neighbor to our south. Aliens described from non-contiguous countries shall not be included in calculating the sum of aliens encountered. So now the 5,000 only refers to Canadians and Mexicans? Nah, that can't be right. Well, I would think that that's something that would have to be resolved. It would have to be figured out. Let's go back to Senator Cinema again. And you take a look at what she put on X. And you realize that this states right there, the 5,000 number equals migrants who show up to claim asylum at the border. These folks are detained or under mandatory supervision. She continues, when 4,000 migrants show up, the border may shut. When 5,000 migrants show up to claim asylum, the border must shut. So first, She's the one now creating a larger issue for me. Claiming asylum. 5,000 showing up claiming asylum. What if they don't claim asylum? What if they just run? We have gotaways right now. So you only shut the border when 5,000 people claim asylum. At 4,000, you could do it, but 5,000, you have to do it, but only if they make this claim. Again, that creates an issue. But can we now get to the very crux, the meat of the matter, which I know is exactly where you are because it's exactly where the rational mind is. 
Let's do this again. Let us listen again. I shouldn't say listen, look at again. What it is, Senator Sinema, one of the architects. You got Senator Sinema, you have Senator Chris Murphy, uh, the Democrat beta male from Connecticut. Oh, do I not like Senator Chris Murphy? And you've got Senator James Langford. And Langford is 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 taking it on the chin. I think I think he thought he'd have more people uh, in 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 his corner. The five thousand number equals migrants who show up, according to Senator Sinema, to claim asylum at the border. So here's the question: Why in the world is it five thousand? Why why is that the number? Who decided? That should be the number. When did that become an acceptable number? You see people doing this mathematics all the time. I, I shared it yesterday. I pulled out the calculator. If I have 5,000 people and I multiply that by 365 days in a year, that's 1.825 million people. The question before us is, who decided that this was the acceptable number? You know, I can't get past that. I have been going over this, like you, for the past two days. Certainly, I did not make up my mind before the legislation dropped. But I have been going over that number over and over and over again. I have gone over that number every which way but loose. And you know what I can't do? I can't figure out why that number isn't 500. I can't figure out why that number isn't 50. I cannot determine. I cannot explain. I could not share with another human being the rationale that dictates that that number isn't five. Why is it 5,000? When did, when did this become the standard that somehow we're all supposed to just accept? You want to sell me a piece of legislation that starts with a number that I think is insane and we should also be clear, barbaric. Why do I call it barbaric? Part of what the legislation states is that families, if you have somebody under the age of 18, they can receive an alternative to detention. I think they call it ATD. I think that is the, the proper terminology. But if you are a single-bodied, single able-bodied male, you are going to get turned away. Now look, I, I, I don't claim an expertise. But I would state that maybe I uh, um, spend a little more time on this than others. Maybe others may spend more time on me. I spend a little more time on this than others. If you state within the legislation that someone who is under the age of 18 will be allowed to come into the country, they'll get some alternative uh, to, to detention, If you do this, isn't this stating, isn't this promoting, not stating, isn't this promoting child trafficking?
you just told people they can't get in without kids. How many kids are going to get kidnapped from El Salvador, from Nicaragua, from Colombia, from Venezuela? How many children will be kidnapped so some guy who is beating them or raping them all the way through the Darien Gap onto McAllen is going to get into the country? I think you're inviting the problem. It says to me that you are begging for this to happen. I don't know how I'm supposed to defend that. I don't know how this is supposed to be better. And we should be clear about something. There are people out there who are absolutely in favor of this legislation. Let's go back to Senator Sinema. You have got groups all over Arizona that are 100% in favor of this. Let me pull this up again, just so everybody has it. This is the Greater Phoenix Chamber of Commerce thanking Senator Sinema and those involved in the bipartisan negotiations on the immigration provisions contained in the emergency supplemental funding proposal being considered by the U.S. Senate. The Business Roundtable applauds the bipartisan Senate negotiators for their effort to improve border security and provide critical aid to our allies. The mayor of Casa Grande uh, says uh, that uh, they support this legislation. The governor, Katie Hobbs, who sounds like a Muppet, supports this legislation. John Giles, the mayor of Mesa, which is not too far, a border town of of Phoenix, uh, supports this legislation urging, quote, my Republican colleagues to set aside political games and support essential immigration reform. Why is it that they favor such a thing? Because it'd be foolhardy to say that nobody favors it. They favor it for the same reason that the Border Patrol Union favors the legislation, and they do. They favor it because it's something. And when you have nothing... When you have absolutely horrific morale, when you have uh, people who can't do their job, when you have people who are being completely overwhelmed, this is at least something that might help a bit. And I want to be clear that when you, when you, when you give it a, a basic read, it's something that might help a bit, right? Everything sounds very, very proactive. But as I teach my children, if, I, if, if there is only one lesson um, that my kids learn from me, if, if, I, if I should pass today, please, uh, uh, please, I don't. I have a lot of things to do tomorrow. Uh, but, but if there's one thing I, I, that they have learned from me, I hope they learn that being pretty is more important than being smart. I certainly hope they learn that. But if there's one thing I hope they learn from me, And I have been telling them this since they're children. I mean, before they hit double digits. The only thing in this world worse than no deal. You know, you're trying to get a deal. You're trying to get something done. You're trying to get something accomplished. The only thing in this world worse than not having a deal is having a bad deal. Signing a bad deal out of desperation or out of fear, or out of being exasperated, is worse than having no deal. 
With no deal, you might be frustrated, but you still have options. With bad deals, you're frustrated and you have no options. The only thing worse than no deal is a bad deal. And I would say to Border Patrol that your frustration is real in a way that maybe the rest of us can't even comprehend. But there are reasons why this doesn't work. And I wanted it to. But it doesn't. And we will keep breaking it down. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. And this is Tony Katz Today. strikes on Iran and yet no one could tell me if any of this was successful so a couple things Jennifer so first of all on on your last comment uh, our forces will always maintain the inherent right of self-defense so if they need to take appropriate actions to to defend themselves they will and you've seen us do that in the past Uh, in terms of attacks in Iraq and Syria since we took these strikes on Friday I'm actually only tracking two incidents. Uh, There was one attack on Saturday, um, February the 3rd. That was two rockets that were fired at MSS Euphrates in Syria uh, with no injuries or damage reported. Uh, And then I'm aware of one yesterday, February 4th. This was a a one-way attack drone that landed several kilometers from MSS uh, Green Village. Um, Also in Syria, again, no reported U.S. injuries or damage to those facilities. So what you're telling me there, Pentagon, is that here we are showing our resolve, our steely resolve to Iran after they kill three American soldiers and they're still attacking us. They're still engaged in attacks on U.S. soldiers. As a matter of fact, you don't know of any Iranians that were killed in our attacks. Can you please tell us, did any Iranians die in the attacks on Friday? Uh, so, Laura, as I understand it, uh, CENTCOM is continuing to assess, um, but initial indications are uh, we're not aware of any Iranians killed. But again, we'll continue to analyze, and as we have updates, we'll let you know. Can I ask what the purpose of the strikes were? They're still attacking us, and we didn't take out any of their guard corps. We didn't kill, I don't know, a 1,000 troops. We didn't kill, I don't know, 42 commanders. We didn't, I don't know, get the brother-in-law of the Ayatollah. Nothing? In any military setting, and I look, I, I never served, but I will put myself up against anybody on this one concept. Doesn't matter how many stars the general has. It doesn't matter how many medals they are draped in. Anyone in the military, I will take on on one subject and one subject alone, but I won't have to because there will be agreement. The most important thing in a military and military leadership is the will to destroy the enemy. Now, I'm not saying that you will be able to. I am saying that you have to have the willingness. You have to actually go out there and say, we're going to destroy the enemy. And without the will, without willpower, without that, you don't have anything. You don't have anything. You have no shot. You have no chance. You have no hope. That's how I feel about our leadership. They just don't have the will. 
This is Tony Katz today. turns out has cancer he went to go see the doctor that's what it was uh prostate cancer tony katz tony katz today so he's had to pull back from his um uh, official duties and then toby keith gone at the age of 62 stomach cancer i did not know i guess this was something that was in the know and i I, I, I guess I hadn't paid a, a attention to it. I had absolutely no idea, none, uh, that this was was, was happening. Uh, Toby Keith, uh, Red Solo Cup. I mean, don't get me wrong. There, there are many other songs, but that one, that one is Red Solo Cup. It just it, it sticks with you. It's catchy. Um, gone at sixty two. That's just that is a baby. That you want a crazy story. Uh, for a generation, I think for Gen X, this might be of, of, uh, consequence, something, something to give one pause. James Gandolfini, the Sopranos, Tony Soprano, he died of a heart attack at the age of 51. This, now this was years ago, right? This was 2013. He'd be, he'd be 62 today. 51. Did I, I, I guess I never put it together, and I came across that stat today. I was looking at some of these other things about Toby Keith and what have you. I was like, oh, man. Whoo. That's. Might have to do some extra push-ups. That's a, that's a rough one right there. Janet Yellen is speaking in front of a House committee, and she wants you to know that everything in the economy is great and wonderful and, and, and perfect, so much so that we should keep it this way by ensuring that we keep our investments up. And, you know, investing in China is very important. Why do we want to, is there a national purpose in encouraging Americans to invest in Chinese equities that you're aware of? Because I'm not. Well, I mean, in general, I think our, the view has been that both inward and outward investment are economically beneficial. It there's certainly I want to move on to another issue. There can be cases encouraging the building of the Chinese economy is not thought by most members of Congress to be a good use of of federal funds. That's actually Democrat Brad Sherman uh, out of the Los Angeles area, so uh, San Fernando Valley, uh, Porter Ranch. well, at least he was. Maybe his district has been moved by now. Janet Yellen can't say out loud we shouldn't invest in China. Now, is that wait for ho 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 ho? Whoa, is that a a conversation about how one engages a fellow quote unquote power, and you you try and make nice, you try not to be too insulting. Try not to slap him in the face too hard? Or is that an actual belief from the Secretary of the Treasury? That, yeah, you invest in China. What's the big deal? Brad Sherman playing the part of the tough guy there is kind of funny. 
But yes, Congress is fully aware we should not be supportive of investment in China because the kinds of investments that would go into China aren't from Joe Blow down the street who's sitting there at his computer doing some day trading. No, the fear is that it's going to be everybody who works over at XYZ plant and the person running their pension has decided that money should go into Evergrande or Country Garden. These real estate concerns in China that are going belly up. Evergrande has already been liquidated by a Hong Kong court and I assume Country Grand or, or, or Country Garden, uh, it, while they're going to desperately try to avoid this, maybe not. It was Charles Payne of Fox Business who stated on the program that the reason... The reason that China did not save Evergrande, Evergrande is one of these groups, $418 billion worth of debt. They've defaulted on They've had $80 billion worth of losses. They were the ones building all these ghost cities because China pushed for construction, infrastructure construction. Give people jobs. Show everybody how strong you are. Well, eventually, you've built all the airports you're going to build. There are areas and regions of China with with a a, a, a per capita income of less than $5,000 a year. They've got seven airports. What are, you, what are you talking about? For what reason would you have seven airports? What the hell is this? I live in Indianapolis, Indiana. Fantastic place, by the way. Come visit. Bring friends. There's one airport. Don't get me wrong. There's a couple of regional airports. You go to Zionsville. You go to Fishers. You go, what's the other one? The other one out, out east. Can't remember that. But you, 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 you got one international airport. You want another one? You could drive up to Fort Wayne, drive down to Louisville, drive over to Cincinnati. You could drive up to O'Hare if you want to live that hellscape. One. Chicago. Two. People forget Midway. Seven in a place where people can't afford rice or soybeans or, or anything else. That's a problem. And yes, China. what's just happening in China is, is the same thing that happens in Japan for like three decades, which is um, uh, the idea of stagflation. Nothing's moving anywhere. Everything is just men. That's the way it's going to be in China for a while. So if you have some pension uh, fund fool deciding that this is where they're going to invest, that is super dangerous for American citizens who are relying on this money. That would be like somebody investing based on ESG, environmental social governance. Well, that's nonsense. You don't invest on somebody's woke culture. You invest on whether or not they bring a return. But the ESG people, whether it be led by BlackRock or anybody else, want you to invest on all these other types of, of, of qualities. As a matter of fact, they don't put in those pension dollars until you do X and you do Y as a company or you do Z. That is brutal, despicable, low class, to hell with them. And of course, cities, and I should say states, and the federal government should outlaw this kind of nonsense. They have a responsibility, and the responsibility is not some woke culture nonsense. The responsibility is to the person saying, okay, you're managing my retirement. Make sure I can retire. That's where the responsibility is. Janet Yellen is not engaged here in any level of responsibility, but Jerome Powell is. I'm talking about the chairman of the Federal Reserve, whom I, I, I think it was 60 Minutes he was on. 
I think he's talking to Scott Pelley. That's what I think, if I remember correctly. Because I'm just taken by the words of Jerome Powell, who decided that honesty matters. And he even says, look, it's not my job to get into the politics. And then he gets into the politics. We mostly try very hard not to comment on fiscal policy and, and uh, you know, instruct Congress on how to do their job when actually they have oversight over us. But is the national debt a danger to the economy in your view? In the long run. The U.S. is on an unsustainable fiscal path. The U.S. federal government is on an unsustainable fiscal path. And that just means that the debt is growing faster than the economy. I have the sense this worries you very much. Over the long run, of course it does. You know, we're effectively, we're borrowing from future generations. It's time for us to get back to putting a priority on fiscal sustainability. And, and sooner is better than later. Well, then. That's something. That we are on an unsustainable path is something that you agree with. By the way, the Dow is up 103. The NASDAQ is down 49. We agree with this. 100% we agree with this. I am just amazed to hear Jerome Powell say it. I'm amazed that there is an honesty happening in this situation. But I won't be amazed that nothing will come of this. There will be no changes. There will be no maneuvers to uh, limiting spending, uh, to uh, bettering growth and limiting uh, expenditures uh, to, to bring down debt. Absolutely, positively none. Zero. Less than zero. No changes will come at all and i think that is that is the story but compare it to what you were hearing from janet yellen who won't even state quite clearly no you don't invest in china what are you out of your mind what are you what are you surreal you don't invest in china you got to be blank and crazy to invest in china she won't even say that she won't even say that uh, by the way, because I always think it's important to uh, bring up uh, the the recall stuff, Honda right now in a recall, 750,000 vehicles getting recalled because of, of uh, airbags. You know, there was a whole recall um, the, the other day. It was from Toyota, but it was talking about like 2004 RAV4s and Corollas. I'm like, what in the... 2004, turns out, the, 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 the recall actually said, if you have one of these vehicles, don't drive it. Do not operate it. Don't come to the dealership. We'll come to you. Don't even drive it. The airbags can explode, and shrapnel can hurt or kill you or your passengers. That was the, that was, that was the messaging. Jeepers. This right here is a defect a defect involving the airbag which could deploy unintentionally during a, a crash and that it is the front passenger seat weight sensor can crack and short circuit. Uh, that's also true if you're really, really, really fat. <sighs> Go on, send your emails. Go on. Go on, send them. 
uh, in a certain Honda Pilot Accord and Civic vehicles from 2020 to 2022, and some Honda CRV and Passport vehicles from the 2020 and 2021 model years. So that is happening. Uh, I have got the update on President Trump and immunity because the court has made a decision and the court's decision is not where it ends. <laughs> Guaranteed. Because the appeals court has rejected the immunity claim. I'll discuss what it means. That's coming up. I'm Tony Katz and this is Tony Katz today. I got reminded during the break, as we do some live, uh, that I have not shared the Chip Roy audio. And the Chip Roy audio is extremely important because the people who are screaming, Trump doesn't want this border deal, and that's why Republicans are turning it down. Um, You all sound crazy. Desperate. um, Weak. Sad. Anti-intellectual indecent um oh and uh and as if somehow you are all uh part of a hive mind it's super weird it's uh, i do not like it when star trek comes to life always freaks me out then again i'm the guy who has a bio on x that says there are four lights tony katz tony katz today find it all at tonycats.com i greatly appreciate it if you would Here is the statement from President Trump regarding immunity. Um, This right here has to do with the fact that the appeals court has rejected Trump's immunity claim. He was trying to make the claim that you can't, you can't hold me accountable and say that I broke the law when I was president. You're, You sound ridiculous. I'm immune from that. Uh, The federal appeals court ruled uh, that you absolutely could charge him in in this regard. This is going to go to the Supreme Court. It's, it's, It's where it's going. This is his statement. If immunity is not granted to a president, every future president, this is how it reads, who leaves office will be immediately indicted by the opposing party without complete immunity. This is attributed to Stephen Chung, uh, the Trump campaign spokesman. Without complete immunity, a president of the United States would not be able to properly function. Deranged Jack Smith, to which I'm not saying he's not deranged. Deranged Jack Smith's prosecution of President Trump for his presidential official acts is unconstitutional under the doctrine of presidential immunity and the separations of powers. The separation of powers. Prosecuting a president for official acts violates the Constitution and threatens the bedrock of our republic. President Trump respectfully disagrees with the D.C. Circuit's decision and will appeal it in order to safeguard the presidency and the Constitution. Now... I love the fact that he respectfully disagrees while saying, how dare you do anything like this? Don't you know anything about the Constitution, you giant dopes? It's, it's, a, it's a great line right there. 
Uh, of course, this is going to the Supreme Court, and I think that is part of the reason for uh, the rejection from the appeals court. Didn't matter what they said. This was something that was going to go to the Supreme Court. Now, what is fascinating is that, remember, this is the trial that's being headed by the judge, Tanya Chutkin. Judge Chutkin has already postponed the trial indefinitely because Jack Smith is trying to get some rulings in his favor from the Supreme Court before it begins, was expecting the Supreme Court to move quickly. You heard Merrick Garland say that Jack Smith is looking for a for a speedy trial. Who the hell is Jack Smith, the special counsel, who, by the way, is a guy with a history of his own? Who is he to look for a speedy trial? Speedy trial is for the, 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 the accused, is for the defendant, not for the people bringing the case. They don't have any right to a speedy trial. Only the defendant doesn't. The defendant doesn't want it. The defendant doesn't have to have it. So he went to the Supreme Court because Trump was going to try and delay and said, hey, figure this out about whether or not he can be charged. And the Supreme Court said, sure, we'll get around to it. Well, getting around to it means getting around to it so much so that the judge, Tanya Chutkin, has said we will indefinitely postpone until the Supreme Court makes a decision. Now you're going about to have the Supreme Court making a couple of decisions. That's what you're going to have. Supreme Court is going to make a couple of decisions, which means this case will not happen right before Super Tuesday, like those who want to engage in election interference wanted. And no matter what you think about Trump, to bring a case the day before Super Tuesday is election interference from beginning to end. We go from here. I'm Tony Katz.